Father, that you would open the eyes of our heart. Give us revelation, Lord. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. That we would know you better. Lord God, that we would know, Lord, the reality of who we are in Christ. Of your call upon our life. Of the greatness of your power toward us and in us who believe. And that we would learn how to cooperate with your spirit. Father, we thank you so much for giving us the Holy Spirit. Lord, the helper who helps us, Lord in all of our lives, in our weaknesses, to to overcome, Lord, to walk with you, to bring glory to your name. Oh, Father God, we yield ourselves entirely to you, and we pray that each one of us will be equipped, Lord, and grow in our walk with your Spirit, Father, from this this morning's uh, time together. Pray that you would release us and stir us up in your gifts to a greater measure than we'd be moving in, Lord. Father, we just bless you and welcome you in this place, Holy Spirit, and pray that Jesus be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to, um, we talked last night about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to, uh, we've got about an hour for this first session, and in this first session, we're going to talk about what I call the proclamation gifts. So that's tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Okay, uh, you know, every time I, I come and I share on something like this, I, I wish I had an hour or so for each gift because the, the Word has so much to say about all of this. And, uh, and God desires in the new covenant for every one of us to move in the gifts of the Spirit. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in the Holy Spirit. Amen? They're not our gifts. They're not my gifts or your gifts. They're His gifts. They belong to Him. And, uh, and they're in Him. And so every one of us can move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Of course, there are other, you know, there are ministries that that God gives to different people. And there are ministries even that develop, body ministries that develop, um, you know, out of operating in the gifts. And so um, we could say a lot about that. But really what we're sharing on today is not primarily about that. What we're sharing about is the gifts of the Spirit that are available to every Christian. Okay? And so um, I only say that because some people get a little bit... um, confused between things like the gift of prophecy and being a prophet. You know, you can't make yourself a prophet. You know that. It's just quiet when you say that because some people have an aspiration to be one. But can I just say um, that, you know, you can't make yourself an evangelist. Um, you can't make yourself an apostle or a prophet or any of those things. That, that is, in fact, the gift of God there is a person. The gift of God is weaved into the individual. It's uh, God gave gifts to men. Apostles, prophets, not apostling, profiting. <laughs> so he gave individuals to the body of Christ. And they are equippers. 50% of their job is to do the job themselves. The other 50% is to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. And so, you know, that's the reality of it. But all the gifts are available to every believer. And so I want to encourage us into all of that. So let's get into this right now. I'm going to read to you, first of all, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 to 11, as a basis for understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to get into, in our first session into tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Here we go. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, uh, brethren, and of course that includes the cistern, <laughs> I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. 
Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Can I just say for a moment that when it says that, it's saying it in a very emphatic, personal uh, personal way. Nobody can say in a personal sense of with real conviction of the heart that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's not like going up into a pub and offering somebody a fiver and say, Jesus is Lord, I'll give you five quid. It's not like that, all right. It's talking about really owning the Lordship of Christ in your own life personally, that you can declare with, with revelation and with conviction that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Except by the Holy Spirit. So it goes on. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. A little bit of explanation of the word diversities. The Greek word here is allotments of gifts. Almost like groupings of gifts. That's very interesting because actually the gifts work really, they work together. And that's the way that God intended the gifts to work. So for example, you know, if you get a word of knowledge about somebody and you step out the word of knowledge, well then when the word comes, it is the word of God. And so when the word of knowledge comes out, it creates faith in the heart of the individual. So it releases special faith, is the Greek, we'll get to that later, that then releases gifts of healings or working of miracles. And you see how one gift is firing off another. Often you'll find that, um, you know, that, that the gift of prophecy often has um, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom involved with it. Sometimes the discerning of spirits too. But as we'll get to later, it's very important to understand the difference between word of knowledge and discerning of spirits and prophecy. Because sometimes when you're prophesying under the anointing of the spirit, you pick up the desire that is in somebody's heart. And it may not be the word of the Lord, but you're picking up their spirit. That's discernment of the human spirit or a word of knowledge. It's not the word of the Lord. It's not prophecy. And so it's important that though you pick that up, you step back in your heart and wait on the Lord for what he says about that. That's prophecy. Otherwise, you can end up prophesying to somebody their heart's desire and putting the Lord's name on it. And it may not be the Lord. (laughs) Amen? Okay. Right. There are diversities or allotments of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Thank God for the different ministries. We all need each other so much. And I think it's a miracle of grace that we can work together at all. I, I think, you know, I really do. I, I sometimes think, imagine, you know, imagine uh, somebody who is an administrator being an administrator for a prophet. I couldn't imagine that, that would just be... You know, admin, I, I just look at administrators and, and I see filing cabinets, you know. I, I just, you know, I, I think it's, it's incredible. But, but we need administrators. The more I go on in my life in ministry, I'm so grateful for the gift of administrators. I am not one, you know. I, I have to do, you know, I, I have to do a fair bit of, of administration as everybody in ministry does. But the reality is if I do more than about a morning's administration, I just, man, I... I, I, I get stressed. It's, it's not a grace. I can do it, but it's not a grace on me. You know, I, I, I want to kind of kick the filing cabinet or throw the cabinet on. I, you know, just let me out and win some souls and then I'm happy again. And I just, you know, and so, but the reality is there are those people who are graced as administrators. Thank God for them. Uh, because they really help us to put feet on, on the vision. They help us to really earth what, needs to, what we see in the spirit. Um, I can imagine just an administrator saying, now just remember, you've, you've got an appointment at 11 o'clock to see so-and-so. I just don't feel, you know, led, led to do that right now. You know, it would just be totally frustrating for both of them. But, um, and of course, pastors and evangelists always, you know, need to learn to work together and, and there's all of that. 
Actually, I think one of the hardest things for people to work together nowadays, and this is really surprising, is evangelists and apostles. That's one of the biggest issues in the, United, in, in the Western church today. And I'll tell you why, because apostles often they connect up with prophets. But apostles, who should be breakthrough men, they're sent ones, very often, instead of just being at the tip of the arrow, breaking new ground, in which case the evangelist is his greatest friend, and they, they work together very similar when they're in that cutting edge point. But very often, a movement starts to get to a certain place where instead of continuing to, to break new ground, it stay, goes from there to there, and it becomes just all about government. Now, there is government in the apostolic call, but if that's all it's about, it's off-center. And at that moment, what happens is, is that the whole movement starts to become an institution. It gets institutionalized. And when that happens, the evangelist becomes the apostle's threat because he wants to keep breaking new ground. And, you know, and the apostle, the only one who can handle him is make him a pastor. And, and really, then apostolic movements become nothing than, than uh, like an administration of a fellowship of pastors. And they've lost the apostolic call and anointing. That's tragic. Signs and wonders stop flowing. Stop seeing so many people getting saved. And it's tragic. It's happened to so many movements. And uh, they get to a certain size, and then all the energy of the apostles is, is caught up in maintaining all of the, what's been built. And, and uh, you know. Anyway, there we are. It's a subject for another day. Here we are. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. What does he mean, diversities of activities? It just means this. God's got 101 ways of doing the same thing. <laughs> It's just amazing how the Lord, the Lord can heal people in so many different ways. You know, sometimes Jesus laid hands on people. Sometimes he spoke a word of authority. Sometimes he spat on people. I wonder how many of you would be queuing up for prayer today if I spat on you, you know. And I mean, honestly, and, and I can't, must warn you, it's happened a couple of times. You know? but, but I know of a guy, I know of a guy that's genuine, very well um, documented this. A guy in, in the, in, really in the southern states of the USA, and he was a, he was a black preacher. He was, very, um, he was illiterate, very little education, but he got, uh, he got full of the Holy Spirit, and he got a revelation about spitting, you know, and um, about the fact that Jesus, you know, when Jesus spat on the blind man's eyes. And so he used to take around with him a little tobacco tin, and he would spit into this tin. All the ladies go, ooh. And so, anyway, basically, he used to take this around, and he would anoint people with his spit. <laughs> and in fact, <laughs> there was a, <laughs> you know, <don't> have to <laughs> but, but there was a, you know, there's these well-documented cases of the number of people that he prayed for, and particularly those um, who, who needed creative miracles. He had a real anointing in that field. And there was one particular account where there was someone with just a little thalidomide hand and uh, just coming out the top of a shoulder. And he literally took the, the spit and put it on in the name of Jesus and the whole arm grew out. And, uh, and I, I've had a friend who's seen that, you know, and, um, you know, I think the most I've seen in creative miracles, like that's probably about that much created. But, but, you know, there are guys who've seen literally whole arms or things like that just grow out. And you know, it's, it's a ministry of the working of miracles. It's creative. But, you know, you talk about a diversities of activities. The Holy Spirit's got a whole variety of ways of, of ministering to people. And, uh, and it's wonderful, thank God. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, Aid touched on this. Aid touched on this last night. 
the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. This is a very good description of the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What is manifestation? Well, in one sense, God is everywhere equally at the same time. In theological terms, he is omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, and he's omnipresent everywhere at the same time. That's a huge faith builder. All-knowing, all-powerful everywhere at the same time. But the thing is, is that although it's true that he's everywhere at the same time, he manifests himself where he is reached out for, where he is welcomed. And so manifestation means he's there, but you can't see him. But when he steps into the visible realm, into the visible world, and that has a whole variety of expression, that's what is called manifestation. And so manifestation, the gifts of the Spirit, are all expressions of God in the physical material realm. And so, you know, the word of knowledge reveals that God is an all-knowing God, and it's a little bit of his all-knowledge into a particular situation. The gift of prophecy reveals God is a speaking God, and it's his voice coming through a human channel in the physical realm. You know, healing, gifts of healings reveal that he is a healing God, that he is the Lord, our physician, and they are a manifestation of his healing power in the physical realm. So all of those are manifestations. There are also times, Jesus said, that he who loves me and obeys my commands, the Father and I will love him and make our home with him, and I will come to him. Now that goes all the way from feeling the presence of God in a meeting to Jesus literally appearing to you. It's true. And so um, I've had meetings where Jesus has appeared in the middle of the meeting to people. And when he has, glorious things have happened. In my own calling, I didn't see him physically with my eyes, but I was caught up in the spirit. And I saw him on the cross, and then I saw him standing face to face in the cross to our side, and him speaking to me. So I've always said to people, if I was ever to leave the ministry, the Lord would have to come to me as powerfully as he first did when he first called me. And so I think the thing about it is this, is that I mean, when you think of T.L. Osborne, went home to be with the Lord last year, great American evangelist. You know, he had an amazing encounter with Jesus after he came back brokenhearted from India and hadn't, had failed to see anyone turn to the Lord in the early days of his missionary ministry. And, um, and he recognized that he really needed um, to encounter the Lord. He needed the release of miracles. He was raised in the Pentecostal church. He spoke in tongues, etc., etc. But he needed to learn how to cooperate with the Spirit for, for miracles and faith. And, uh, and he just fasted and prayed. And one day he woke up in the mo- early hours of the morning and Jesus was standing at the end of his bed. You know, he literally fell to his floor with a water pouring from my eyes, though I wasn't conscious of crying. He said, I, I, I came round, he said, in the early hours of, of the afternoon. And um, he said, when I walked out of that room, my wife knew she had another, a different man. <laughs> and from that moment, he said, he chose to forget everything he had ever been taught and ever learned. And he chose to go straight back and read the New Testament as if it was the first time he ever read it. And he would act on every word that Jesus said as if it was Jesus speaking directly to him. And from that moment, he started to see the miraculous. And so, you know, and then in all of the years, you know, in 60 years of ministry and over, I don't know, 170 nations doing mass crusades and everything else, he never had one crusade where Jesus didn't appear physically either to one or to hundreds at a time. It's dramatic, but actually Jesus promised it. So 
Anyway, these are manifestations of the Spirit. But they're manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They're given to each one. That means they're available to all of us. And they're given to each one. Why? For the profit of all. To build up everybody. To build up the church. That's what they're given. The gifts of the Spirit are given to edify and to build up and to equip the church and to reach the world. That's what they're given for. Amen. They're not given to make us look big as if we got an anointed ministry or something. They're given to bless and build up the church. Let's read this. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith or special faith, the Greek says, by the same Spirit. Talk about that tonight. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Amen. Okay, let's just look here this morning at tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Last night we we spoke about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and some got baptized in the Holy Spirit and released in tongues, and and that was great. But it's lovely this this very precious couple who are just down here uh, have, have come, and we were having a little conversation just before the meeting started. And just, we were just talking about um, the whole meaning of why tongues. What is, what is tongues for? What is the benefit of tongues? And, uh, and so we're going to look at this for a moment together. First of all, and uh, this first one, please forgive me if I tread on any toes. I'm not intending to. Um, but let me say point one. First of all, first use of speaking with other tongues is this. It is an evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And now I said an evidence as opposed to the evidence for a reason. And the reason is I lean very heavily in many ways in my faith and in, and in my experience that speaking in other tongues is the evidence. However, the thing is this, is that if you're going to establish doctrine, it's always important to go back to what Jesus actually promised. What did he actually say? And then you look at the accompanying signs. And so Jesus said this in Acts 1, 4 to 8. It says, you shall receive power, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me. Now, he also promised us in Mark 16, of course, about these signs that would follow those who believe. And one of them is, they will speak with other tongues. But he specifically said that when the Holy Spirit came on us, we would receive power to be witnesses. And then we, go, we have four occasions, we mentioned them last night, where, where it is directly stated in the book of Acts of times when people were baptized in the Holy Spirit and what happened to them. And we, so we have Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. And in all of those, bar one, it directly states that when the Holy Spirit fell on them or filled them, they spoke with other tongues or they spoke with other tongues and they prophesied. Only in one of them, that's Acts chapter 8, does it not say that. But clearly something visible and manifest happened because Simon the sorcerer, who extra biblical um, uh, information, history, uh, accounts, tells us he was a big wheel in the occult world. He was known all the way from Samaria right up to Rome for the power he operated in in the occult realm. So power was a big deal for him. And so what he sees is, he sees that when Peter and John lay hands on people, that they receive the Holy Spirit, and he's impressed. And so he offers them money and says, give me this power also, that on whomever I lay hands on, they will receive the Holy Spirit. And of course, 
Peter says to him, your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. May I just say as an aside that it remains true today that anyone who teaches you that you can receive the gifts of God by a transaction of money is not of God. The gifts of God are given by grace. I believe in sowing and reaping, but you can't buy your way into the anointing. Amen? I mean, in the States, it's just horrific. You, you hear of people coming up into charismatic meetings and they're paying for prophecies. You know, I, I, I don't know whether, you know, the, the, forgive me, brother. But, you know, and, and my sister over there. But it's true, you know, I mean, you get it sometimes. You always get the idea, the bigger the money, the bigger the, the prophecy, you know. And, and, and I would just say, you know, it, it's, it's wrong. It's, it's corruption. It's absolutely wrong. Totally corrupt. should never be that way. You know, and um, I can't say wholeheartedly that the Holy Spirit doesn't lead people to say sometimes, you know, there's somebody who's going to give X, Y, and Z. Sometimes the Lord does say that, you know, and, but it, it's not for somebody else to tell you that. It's for you to hear from God for yourself and not for somebody to manipulate you to do that. You've got to respond ultimately. This is a big principle with the prophetic. You must hear God for yourself. Amen. In the new come, this was the desire of Moses. Moses prayed, he, he said, oh, that, that all the people of God would be prophets. Because under the Old Testament, there were primarily three anointings. There were prophets, priests, and kings. But they prophesied, the prophets prophesied of a day, as Joel said in Joel 2, when the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. And he said, and, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And then you, your, your, my servants and my maidservants will prophesy. My, you know, your sons will see visions. Your, your old men will dream dreams. Amen. All of these are signs of the end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We live in that day today. And so today, every believer can be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues and prophesy, hear God for themselves. Romans 8.14 tells us it's a sign of sonship. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so it's fundamental that we learn to hear the voice of God and that we encourage people in that. Don't ever, ever, ever act on a prophetic word which you haven't heard from God yourself first. Don't do it. You'll end up in trouble. You'll get a lot of pain and, and, and hurt. But instead of that, you know, just make sure you get alone with God and hear from the Lord yourself. If you need to fast and pray to silence your spirit. So many of us were so busy in our lives. Our minds and our soul realm is so full of stuff and information. And the information age is a big danger on that. Because our, our minds, you know, you take in more information in, in reading Facebook or something like that, you know, or, or just going through all of your stuff on the internet in about half an hour to an hour than, than our, our forefathers did, you know, literally in a year. It's true. But think about it for a moment. Our minds are overfull with information, and it doesn't help us hear God. So that's why sometimes we need to learn to pull back, drop everything else, pray in the Spirit, quiet our hearts, listen to God, get to that place of stillness where the Holy Spirit can speak to you. Amen. One of the biggest dangers in ministries is where guys get so busy that they start acting on automatic pilot. And they stopped hearing the Lord. Don't do it. Amen. So it is an evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go much further on that because uh, we talked a lot about that last night. Number two, and this one's really helpful. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8. 
verses 26 and 27. One of the greatest uses of praying in other tongues is for intercession. It's for intercessory prayer, where we don't know what we should pray for. We don't know how to pray for a particular situation. How many of you have ever got into a situation where you prayed your socks off in English about it, and you're just at the end of yourself? You don't know how else to pray about it. Anybody else ever been there? Okay, just some of you. Okay, the others are obviously walking in 100% wisdom and revelation all the time. That's great. Well... Let me just say this, that uh, we, we all need the help of the Holy Spirit. We really do. And he knows how to pray into a situation when, when we don't. He knows how to pray perfectly into that situation. Let's read the scripture. It says here in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what, what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, notice himself, not itself, himself. The Spirit is a person. Amen. Not just an influence. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Oh man, we could go on. It's utterly glorious. But let me say this. That... Um, Rick Renner is an apostolic teacher, and when I say that, I, I mean he, he's an apostle who's really, he's got the goods, shall we say, all right? He moves in signs and wonders, he's planted many churches, uh, the Good News churches stretching out from Moscow and then uh, across Russia, hundreds of them, and um, God sent him from the States over there to plant that church and to minister in Russia years ago. And he is a Greek and Hebrew scholar. In fact, he is rated to be the top Greek scholar in the United States. Right across, all the way from the Pentecostal churches, the Word of Faith churches, all the way to the evangelical circles, right across the board. Now, he has produced, if you ever want to do, to read something that is really full of insight, um, and, and yet it's easy to read, but it'll build your faith, no end. Um, I encourage you to get hold of his daily devotional book called Sparkling Gems sparkling gems. You can, get it, uh, you can get it downloaded, actually, into your iPad or your phone every day if you want, um, from rickrenner.com, his, his ministries. And um, it's 365 Greek word studies. Okay, one for every day of the year. Now, that sounds really heavy and intellectual. May I encourage you? It isn't. All right, because what he does is he takes a verse every day, and then he opens that up into our everyday English and he opens it up for us to understand and really get into the depths of the Word of God. And then he backs it up with encouraging testimonies, faith-building stuff, you know, and then there's a prayer and a confession to make and all of that kind of stuff. It's really, really encouraging. Now, Rick Renner makes this comment here about Romans 8.26, and it's really helpful. He says, when it says the Spirit helps us in our infirmities, he said, when it says the Spirit helps us, he said, it's actually, it's a compound word in Greek. He said that is actually several, two, three words put together, and it's best expressed this way. My goodness, this, this really confirmed to me what I knew in my spirit. And have you ever done any study where you've studied something deeper in the Word of God that you didn't know the original language for, but when you discovered it, it was absolutely true to what you knew in your spirit? Spirit to me, because you discover that in your relationship with God. And this is, this is one of those verses for me. And he said this, he said, it literally means the Spirit takes hold together with us against our infirmities. I'm going to say that again. The Spirit takes hold together with us 
against our infirmities, weaknesses, sicknesses, inadequacies. Okay. So, what the, in, the, the inference is this. If you don't reach out to take hold of the promises of God, the Holy Spirit won't do it. Understand? There's a partnership here. It's all about partnership. If you don't reach out to take hold of what God has promised, the Spirit won't reach out with you. So you've got to take a step of faith too. And when you take a step of faith to reach out and to pray in the Spirit over something, the Spirit will go with you to that promise and will pray through you the perfect will of God against that weakness, that infirmity, until it's broken and you come through in victory. And the Holy Spirit, who knows, it goes on and says that he who knows the mind of the Spirit. This is really interesting. You see here in prayer, in the Spirit, the whole of, of, the, whole of the Trinity working together in answer prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says that, that the Spirit helps us as we reach out and take hold of the promises and pray in the Spirit. That the Spirit takes hold of the promises together with us against our infirmities. Then he who knows the mind of the Spirit, who is he who knows the mind of the Spirit, who intercedes for the saints? His name is Jesus, our great high priest. And he presents that intercession to the Father. And then the Father says, and we know that all things are working together for our good. Now this is probably one of the the most misused verses in the whole of the Bible. It's kind of like this. Imagine. I'm not going to do it, so relax. But just imagine. I come up to Emmanuel. I basically go, and I give him a right whack across the face. I say, hey. And he looks, what are you doing that for, John? I don't want to cheer up, Emmanuel. All things work together for good. <laughs> and then we do it again. Bang, across there. And this, what are you doing again? I say, hey, relax. All things work together for good. <laughs> That's not what the scripture is teaching. Not everything you go through is ordained by God. It's not all ordained by God. And we shouldn't say it is. It's wrong. It's because you go through something that is dark and difficult. It doesn't mean that God sent it. Otherwise, we start ascribing to God the works of darkness. And our God is good. Our God is good. We have an enemy out there we have to deal with. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. A fallen world it is too. A broken world. And so, you know, we have to face these facts. But God will give us strength and power to overcome. But this is describing how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work with us to bring us to the full maturity of sonship. That's what it's talking about. And praying in the Holy Spirit is a major tool that God has given to us. Thank God. Satan can't access it. He doesn't understand it. It's direct communication from the Holy Spirit in our spirit direct back to the Father. Amen. Well, we are literally releasing into our lives and releasing into our earth the will of God, if you like, the prayers of God into the earth. It's awesome. I can remember a number of years ago that a friend of mine, he came around to, um, to my house. He and his brother shared a room in their home. And uh, my friend was on fire for Jesus. But uh, his brother had gone away from the Lord and just got into heavy rock, into all kinds of stuff. And basically, whenever my, my friend would go up to his bedroom to pray and to read the word, then his brother would follow him up and he'd flick on, you know, 666, the number of the beast or something from Iron Maiden or something of like that, and just to provoke him and all this kind of stuff. And my friend was just getting absolutely, you know, it was breaking his heart. And so anyway, he came around one afternoon and he just said, John, would you pray with me about this? I said, come on, let's go and pray. And we, we got down on our knees. We started to pray about this. And we prayed in English, first of all, to deal with this thing. 
and we prayed for his brother. And then we got to a place where we finished what we could pray for in English, and we started to pray in tongues. And the Spirit of God came on us, and we found ourselves praying in tongues for a couple of hours. And to be honest, at the end of that couple of hours of just praying through in tongues, suddenly there came a moment, and it was, it was as if, it's like watching a conductor just suddenly bring an orchestra to an end like that, you know. At that sudden moment, we both stopped and looked up at each other, and there was, a, there was a knowing in both of our hearts at that moment that it was done. And we looked at each other and said, it's done, isn't it? Said, it's done. The whole atmosphere has changed and we just had that inner knowing. It's one of the ways the Spirit speaks to us. And that inner witness, the Bible calls it. And so, anyway, we just praised God for the answer and then thank God, declared it was done. And, um, and left it like that and just kept thanking the Lord. Well, two weeks later, um, Russell, my, my uh, friend's brother, on a Sunday afternoon where the whole family's sitting in the lounge, just having some tea or whatever, he suddenly comes down the stairs and he stands on the stairs and he looks at the family and says, I've got an announcement to make. They they all turned to him and said, oh, what's that, Russ? You know, I I don't know why I've done it. I said, I've been away from God and I I know I've caused you all heartache and pain and I'm so sorry. He said, "Um, I'm just repenting. I'm getting right with God. I'm going to get baptized. At which point, you know, the dad looked up, and now Barry's beaming, and, 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 you know, and, uh, and, you know, and the dad looked up with a smile, and said, my goodness, he said, when, when did all this come about? You know, and he said, well, I don't know, about, it's about, it about two weeks ago, about three o'clock in the afternoon, and <laughs> it was exactly the time when we had that knowing and that breakthrough. And he said, I just haven't been able to escape the conviction ever since. And I've got right. Do you know, somebody's praying for you out there. We need to be praying for people and seeing the breakthrough. I think sometimes in the body of Christ, we give up on things too early. I think sometimes we give up on things, on things too early, and then when we don't get the answer straight away or within a certain amount of time, and we haven't pressed through in prayer for it and seen the breakthrough in the Spirit, because of that, then we start creating all kinds of odd theologies about God's sovereignty concerning that situation. And it was nothing to do with his sovereignty. It was because in our partnership with the Holy Spirit, we didn't press through. always goes quiet when you talk like that. I'm not excluding God's sovereignty, but I think that there's a, a, a lot more of this issue that goes on than we would like to admit. And all, all I can say for myself is, you know, I, I, I can just say, Lord, forgive me when I haven't pressed through as I should have done. I know there's been many times in my life I haven't pressed through as I should have done for others. And I think we, we need, we owe it to each other. We owe it to the world. We owe it to the people that we serve to have a deeper walk in prayer, in the spirit, and in fasting to see the breakthrough. I think we would see a whole lot more. Anyway, before you all give up on me and walk out, let me just, um, <laughs> let me just move on to number three, evangelism. Let's talk about evangelism. This often isn't discussed when it comes to tongues. But Paul described tongues when he, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, as a sign for unbelievers. He also talked about the fact that tongues without interpretation in a public gathering, when the unsaved comes in, you know, the unsaved will come in sometimes, and if there's no interpretation, they look and say, my goodness, you're all out of your head. <laughs> okay. May I say the context? The context is, is when they come in. 
So the context means that. It's not a, it doesn't mean that, particularly in the company of believers and, and those who understand that we can't pray in tongues corporately or sing in tongues corporately. But it does mean that when a tongue is spoken out in a congregation from somebody, there should be an interpretation to it. And it is, it's really the obligation of the person who gave the tongue to give the interpretation. Uh, or if he doesn't have it, that he should pray that somebody else will get it. But he first should pray that he gets it, is what the scripture says. Amen. But I have been in churches where right at the beginning of the service, the pastor says, let's all stand up together and speak in tongues. And, and, and the unsaved walks in and there's a wall of tongues, you know, and, and they're kind of like, my goodness, you know, what's going on here? They can't, you know, beam me up, Scotty. You know, they kind of take that approach. So I, I think it's important that we do communicate to people in a way that they can understand and that they can relate to. That's the whole point of First Corinthians 14. Um, you know, so... But tongues, particularly tongues with interpretation, is a sign for unbelievers. And may I say this, that also, God also uses tongues. And sometimes, you know, and this is where you can't be too rigid on this one, because the fact is that there are some times when you pray in, in, in the Holy Spirit, you pray in tongues, and there's somebody there who doesn't know Jesus, and they speak a different language, and you start speaking in tongues, and you don't even know that it's their language, but actually you start communicating Jesus to them through that language. It's true. Um, there is an evangelist in the States, Tommy Hicks. Um, and Tommy Hicks, I don't know if he's still around, but years ago when the Iron Curtain first came down, he did a mass gospel campaign in Moscow. He got permission to do it on Red Square. And he preached the gospel there, but his interpreter did not believe in healing. And so, you know, he was fine preaching the gospel, but then he got to this place where as he starts to preach about the healing power of God, the interpreter wouldn't interpret him. So he starts... He says, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord says to him, preach in tongues. <laughs> so he starts preaching in tongues. And he starts going for it. And as he continues to preach in tongues, suddenly he sees hundreds and hundreds of people start leaving where they're standing and coming to the front in tears. And he wonders what's going on. And the Lord just says to him, just keep speaking in tongues. So he carries on speaking in tongues. They all bow their head. And then they all start saying what he's saying. <laughs> And then miracles start happening and everything else. He did the whole of the rest of the ministry in other tongues. <laughs> Incredible. I have friends, personal friends, who have spoken in other tongues. When the Lord sent them to another nation, I have a friend that the Lord sent him to Spain. He didn't understand the language at all. But the moment he got off the plane and his feet touched the tarmac, God gave him the ability to speak Spanish and totally understand it. It's never left him. Just like that. Boom. Yeah. One of the most confusing things to, to an Englishman is when you go to another country where they don't speak English, you pray for them to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then they start speaking praises to God in perfect English. <laughs> now, that, that is a bit confusing. I, I, I can remember in Argentina praying for a kid that was nine years old, and he's so desperate for the Holy Spirit, I prayed for him to be filled with the Spirit. He threw his arms up, and he started to say, Glory to the Lamb upon the throne! And, and, and he starts to declare all this, and I, thought, I stopped him. I said, No, 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 not in English. I mean, in. And that's not, oh, he's, so I said to the interpreter, you just ask him if he knows English by any chance. So, so he turns and he asks the guy the question in English. He goes, huh, pourquoi? So he says, all um, oh, right, okay. Let's try it again. I said, okay, hands up, here we go. And I went, Calabadi, understand that while I'm going off in tongues, he's going off, glory to the Lamb, praise Jesus. And he's going off in perfect English. It's amazing. But when he gets out of the Spirit, he can't speak a word of it. That's phenomenal. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the tongues or the languages of men 
and angels. Yeah. When I was ministering in Bristol one time, there was a guy who came, who was a, who was a, a soldier, and um, he had been out in uh, Afghanistan. And he, uh, he came to see me at the end of one session on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he just said to me, John, I've got to tell you this. He said that when I was on duty in Afghanistan, he said, I went into my tent. He said, and I felt the Holy Spirit just fall on me. And I just started to pray in other tongues and to praise God in other tongues. And suddenly, he said, I ha- had an Arabic soldier who happened to be walking, working with us. He said he was walking past the tent. Suddenly, he ran and he fell on his knees in my tent with tears streaming down his cheeks. And he said, tell me about this God that you're talking about. Tell me about this Jesus. Jesus, it is as I walked past your tent, I heard you talking about the goodness of God and that his name is Jesus and that I can be saved. He said, tell me all about him. How can I get to know this Jesus? And he led him to Christ. And he said to me, John, he wasn't the only one. It happened on a number of occasions. I said, God can use tongues like that too. Amen? All right, in evangelism. But generally speaking, signs and wonders need explanation. Generally speaking, tongues needs interpretation. Amen. So that's, that's vital. I always say, and we'll get to that tonight when it comes to healing and miracles as well, because people don't get saved through signs and wonders. Signs point to something, and wonders make you wonder, but people have to hear the gospel in order to get faith to be saved. So it's vital that we always give people the gospel on the back of signs and wonders. People sometimes say to me, well, John, do you see things like sometimes, uh, you know, gold dust and oil and, and jewels on the floor? And you hear a lot of people talking about this and gold teeth and things. Well, it's happened from time to time. It doesn't happen, hasn't happened to me very much. Uh, I've never had the jewels, uh, not that I'm aware of anyway. Uh, you know, I've had sometimes some gold dust and some oil and, and on occasion I've seen some people heal their teeth filled. The amazing thing for me is that when that's happened, I, I have I've test, I've opened it up to look at it and the gold was almost translucent. And do you know what? There was a cross on the top of the filling. Like the Lord had left his mark. <laughs> Incredible. I've never personally seen it in England. It happened to me in South America, and I was so excited about it. And this particular person had four fillings, and I opened them up like a dentist, and I was looking in there, and I thought, this is amazing. It's wonderful. And, I'm, and you know, these teeth, they're glittering. I mean, it's just incredible. And I, I got the bishop of Conception over, who was my interpreter, and, and I said, come here, bishop, you've got to see this. And I'm so excited. And he looks at me, and he says, John, yes, it's great, but why are you so excited? This happens every week in my parish. He said, you must understand the gospel is still the gospel to the poor. They're too poor to afford medical care. But our Jesus is wonderful. I said, oh, I love it. (laughs) And here we are all chasing the signs and wonders conferences. They all get it all the time amongst the poor. I think part of that is because... No, I won't say that. No. (laughs) No. But may I just say that, you know... Um, people ask me sometimes, well, John, why don't you go more for deliberately reaching out for, for oil and gold dust and feathers and all this kind of stuff? I'll tell you why, because I don't see in Scripture that we are to go after that. I, I see that we are to go after preaching the gospel. I see that we are to go after raising the dead. I see that we are to go after healing the sick and cleansing lepers and casting out demons and, and, and to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But, but some of this extra stuff, it's, you know, if God wants to do that, I'm, it's fine. I'm open to you know, what the Lord wants to do. But that's not the major focus. The major focus is Jesus and the gospel and, and his work. And, and Amen. And, and so make the main thing the main thing. And, you know, and, and, you know, and don't be... The, don't end up with a wrong focus on, on 
supernatural signs and wonders where if you depart from the word and from making the main thing the main thing and, and lifting up Jesus, you know, sooner or later you can get into deception, into trouble. So you just want to keep down the main track. And, you know, I, I have had times. I had one time at a conference of 6,000 out in, uh, in Kenya, in Nairobi. And, um, and I was teaching there about the gifts of the Spirit. And I remember um, that about 10 minutes into the message, suddenly my pastor came on. He was out there ministering with me. He got off the front row and he said to me, uh, he stopped me and said, John, I think you need to know what's going on out here. I said, well, what? He said, well, people have got oil coming out of their hands and there's gold dust all over them. I said, all right. I said, well, okay. So uh, at that point, moment, I said, can I just ask a question? How many of you have got oil coming out of your hands and gold dust on you? And 300 hands went up. So I said, right. Let me just say this right now, that the gold is a sign of the glory and, and, uh, and the oil is a sign of the anointing of the Holy Spirit to heal and to release. So how many of you need a miracle from Jesus here? Hands went up all over the building. I said, right, stand there for a moment, keep your hand up. Those of you with oil coming out, your hands go and lay hands on the people who have got the hands laid up and let's believe God for some miracles here. And there were just healings that broke out all over the place. Because you didn't want to leave the sign itself just sitting there, but instead take it as a provision and release it. So, anyway, there we are. Let's make the main thing the main thing, eh? Amen. Last of all, another purpose for tongues, personal edification, all right? And this is a primary use of tongues. There's a few others here, and we're going to go through this quickly. I want to get into prophecy here. But 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4 says that he who prays in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Thank God that we can be edified and built up praying in other tongues. The word to edify has various translations. It means effectively to encourage yourself or build yourself up. It means to charge yourself. Like sticking in a battery. You know, if, you're, if there's a battery in your car has gone down and you take it out and you put it to a charger overnight. You know, and it charges you up in your spirit and in your walk with God. There is no need for a believer who is full of the Holy Spirit and gets Gets into the word of God to end up burnt out. There is no need. The only time we get burnt out is when our output exceeds our input. But we need to make sure that we keep close to God in prayer and in the word. It's old fashioned, but it's right. And it's the way of the word. It's the way of God. Your father is in the secret place. Amen. And he will meet you there and reward you in the public place. So let's make sure that we give our time to build ourselves up. It means to charge yourself, to improve yourself. How many of us need some improvement? Okay, I'm here. We all need improvement. And so praying in tongues is one way to improve ourselves. Vine's expository dictionary of Greek New Testament words says that when we edify ourselves, it's like building ourselves up. It's like a huge edifice, like a building that's being built higher and higher and stronger and stronger. What an amazing interpretation of praying in other tongues of the power of what it does. It builds you up and makes you strong in your spirit. John G. Lake, who was powerfully used of God in the beginning of the 20th century uh, in South Africa, as well as starting the heal- healing rooms in, uh, in Washington, uh, DC, you know, he, my goodness, he saw so many outstanding miracles. And in South Africa at that time, the bubonic plague broke out. Now, of course, the bubonic plague is deadly, and people were dropping like flies everywhere. Now, the American government sent over a team of scientists to see if they could effect a cure. And these scientists turned up almost looking like spacemen. 
they were covered with all of these, you know, big outfits that covered them from head to toe. And they were uh, amongst the sick and the dying, seeing if they could effect a cure. When they got there, they found John G. Lake and his workers working amongst the people with no protection whatsoever and with their, their shirts rolled up and ministering amongst these people. And so the scientists came to see John G. Lake because John G. Lake was a medical doctor before he was a preacher. And so they came to John G. Lake and they said to him, what is it about your workers? We're all dressed like this. You know how contagious this is. Why is it that none of your workers are sick or dying? He said, the next time somebody dies, cut open their lung, which would fill with green pus with the living virus. Cut open their lung. He said, take some of the green living virus, put it on my hand and put it under a microscope and have a look. And they said to him, we won't do that unless you sign an affidavit to say we're not responsible for your life. He said, that's okay. So he signed this. The next person who died, they cut open the lung and they took out some of this stuff and they put it on his hand. And then he put it underneath a microscope. The scientists were shocked. And uh, when they were shocked, they looked and said, what on this earth is that? He said, tell me what you see, gentlemen. And they said, on contact with your hand, Every virus is dying. What is that? He said, that, my friends, is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But in his memoirs, he wrote this. He said, everything I have in my ministry under God in signs and wonders, I owe to the simple gift of speaking in other tongues. Now, it's very interesting because in James, James chapter 2, James 3, James talks a lot about the tongue. And one of the things he says is this. He says that whoever is perfect in what they say it's, he says, they are a mature man, able to bridle the whole body, to bring the whole body on, under influence. It says that the tongue is so placed amongst the members of our body that it literally can, you know, it can contaminate the whole of our bodies. And so, you know, it says that the tongue is like a rudder in, in the bit of a, of a horse, or, you know, sorry, on a, on a ship, or, or, or like, you know, or a bit in a horse's mouth to direct the course of, of our lives. And yet he says, no man can tame the tongue. Well, if no man can tame the tongue, who can tame the tongue? The Holy Spirit can. And he's inside of us. Now, when you pray in other tongues, well, ha- one of the things that happens is you bring the whole of your body and all of its members under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit. That's powerful. So if you pray in tongues a lot and then you go into a service, don't be surprised that you flow in the prophetic. Don't be surprised that miracles happen. Don't be surprised that words of knowledge flow because you've just released the whole of your being, your brain, your your body, everything under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then you go and you impart that to others through the laying on of hands or the spoken word or spirit-inspired actions. Amen? Amen? So through the Holy Spirit, we receive power But through praying in other tongues, we steward the power that we receive. I'm going to say that again, all right? Through being baptized in the Spirit, we receive power. But through praying in other tongues, we steward the power that we receive. Okay. Jude goes further and says um, in Jude 20, Build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Dave Carson, who is a a great um, Pentecostal theologian, he makes the comment that he said throughout Paul's letters where he refers to praying in the Spirit as distinct to praying with the Spirit, he said it is without question that he is referring to praying in other tongues. 
And it's true. And of course, it's praying in the Spirit. You don't know how to pray for it as you ought to pray for it, but you pray in the Spirit. And the Spirit prays through you the perfect will of God. But then there's praying with the Spirit, that either as you're praying in tongues, the Spirit gives you impressions or verses of Scripture or pictures or things and leads you into praying, gives you impressions or a knowing or an inner voice, a sense of the Spirit is directing you then how to pray. That's praying with the Spirit, that then you're praying the things that the Spirit of God directs you to pray for. Amen. Praying with the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. You build your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12 is a verse that Paul also quoted in 1 Corinthians 14, speaking of rest and refreshing through praying in other tongues. There is spiritual refreshment in praying in tongues. I'll tell you, I mean, I, I preach on average five times, five to six times every weekend, with the exception of one weekend a, a month when I'm home with my family. And, uh, and I'm there most weeks. Sometimes I'm off on missions, you know, as, as well. I'm so glad my, my wife is as committed to the gospel as I am. And my kids have never known anything different. In fact, when I was a pastor very briefly and I, and I was church planting and I, I told my oldest boy that I was going to, um, going to be around more and we could have some more time together and do all that, I thought he'd be really overjoyed. And he, he looked at me and said, what do you want to do that for, Dad? <laughs> I, well, I thought it'd be nice to be together a bit more. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, no, I like it when you come back with your exciting stories about what Jesus has done through and the miracles. And I like that. And it made me suddenly realize that when we talk about leaving a legacy with our kids, you know, yes, we need to have time with them. We really need time. And we need to share our hearts with them. And we need to have fun with them. We need to do all of those things and disciple our own kids. But there's a legacy that you leave that is more than just that relationship time of having fun together and it's more than just money but there's an inheritance that you leave your kids through your investing your life into God and his kingdom as well I do believe it's God family ministry I don't believe it's God ministry family but I take my kids with me sometimes so my kids, 12, 10, and 8, are all moved in words of knowledge and all speak in tongues. And some of them have seen the deaf hear. And yeah, I've told them all once they turn nine years old, they can do a bit of traveling with daddy. And my goodness me, when we were church planting, it was a great fun. And we would sit around the dinner table before going out to do an afternoon church plant meeting. And, and we'd pray in tongues around the dinner table. And, and at that time, my oldest was just. Um, he was nine, and there was a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And, you know, and I say, guys, what's the Lord saying for the people this afternoon? Let's just ask the Lord. And I, I can remember little, little uh, Joshua, just seven years old, said, Daddy, somebody in the church fell down the stairs of their home this week and hurt their spine. And then the nine-year-old said, yes, Dad, and, uh, and it's Karen. And so then when I stood up, you know, that afternoon, you know, to preach, I said, okay, just before I preached today, I, my boys had some words of knowledge. And, um, and so uh, Josh just said that there's a lady here who fell down the stairs and you've really damaged your back this, and you're in a lot of pain. And in fact, Karen, um, Nathan said it was you. She breaks down into tears. says, it's right, it's me. I'm in terrible pain. So there you go, boys, go and pray for She's instantly healed, you know. And, and I took Josh, Josh turned, turned nine last year. I took him away to a church with me and, and I just turned to him in the beginning of service. I said, Josh, has the Lord given you anything? He said, I think there's a lady who's deaf in her left ear. I said, okay, do you want to call her out? 
So uh, I stand here, he's about here, and he just, you know, with the microphone, he just calls her out. Uh, she was a big, tall woman like this. And I said, uh, okay, Josh, just pray for her. So I said, uh, if you don't mind bending down, you know. <laughs> so she goes like this, you know, and he puts her hands on her ears, but she instantly got a hearing back. Wonderful, you know. It's lovely, you know. I mean, when Nathan was nine and I took him down to a church, I had no idea that the church had gone through a church split and, every, and it had become really authoritarian and kids were to be seen and not heard and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, I'm fairly free really with kids. And, I'm, you know, um, I still do believe in applying the, the hand of teaching to, this, you know, to the seat of learning when it's needed. But... Um, but the fact about it is that, you know, uh, Nathan came along and he had a word for a guy who was um, in his 50s who had asthma and was wearing a light blue jumper. That's the word he got before we got into the meeting. He gives out this word, this big tall guy comes forward, Nathan kind of reaches up to him like this, <laughs> puts his hand on him, you know, and the paragon hits this guy and he just crashes to the floor. And... Um, you know, dear Nathan turned around and never seen that happen through him before. So he looked at me and went like this, you know. I said, good one, Nathan, put it there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then I turned to the kids. And, and of course, I didn't, I didn't know in that church the kids weren't supposed to do anything. So I said, how many of you kids would like to do what you just saw Nathan do? Well, of course they all <laughs> So they all came forward to the front. I said, God, I ask you, how many of you speak in tongues? How many of you are baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, only about two of them out of about 13. So we pray for them. They all got filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And then I just gave out some words of knowledge and, and people came forward. It was like a battleground. So these kids went around laying hands on them with just bodies everywhere. And I thought, well, why should our kids have to wait till they're adults to know what the flow of the Holy Spirit feels like? Amen? For kids, it can't just be learning Scripture in a Sunday school. They need that and they really need that. But on the other side of the cross, they also need to have the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, okay, learn to pray in tongues and uh, build yourself up. Can you hang on with me for about 10 minutes? You're right, and then we'll break for coffee, and then we'll have another session. But we're going to move to some, um, some stuff here that I hope will, will help you. Let me race through interpretation of tongues and prophecy. Look, interpretation of tongues. Interpretation is not translation, okay? It's not translation. I don't know if you've ever done much preaching overseas. Um, I've done a lot of preaching overseas, a lot of preaching through translators, interpreters rather. And uh, sometimes it can be frustrating when you preach and, and you know, you kind of say one short sentence and then they carry on for 10 minutes, you know. And you kind of think, hey, who's preaching here? You know, and, they, and, then, and then they turn, some of them have turned to me and said, John, you have to understand we don't have that expression in our language. So I have to find all kinds of idioms and examples for them to understand what you just said. I said, all right. And then sometimes I've, I've, I've said quite a long thing and they've said, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's it. You know, I thought, is that it? You know, didn't you like what I said? You know, but... Um, and then I, I remember one time with Don Double and we were preaching in Tanzania and he was in a particular part where we had to go through several languages. And, um, and anyway, Don was preaching from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. He gets to verse 18 where Isaiah prophesies and, and says, um, Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are red like scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Well, Don's in the I mean, he's just passionately preaching and evangelist and going for it. I'll make your sins white as snow. And he declares it like this. And then the interpreter goes, huh? And the second one goes, huh? <laughs> and uh, Don does it again. I'll make your sins white as snow. And they go, 
<laughs> and he said, Don said, what's the problem? And then one of the interpreters turned and said, we don't have a word for snow in our language. We don't have any. I said, obviously, there's some at the top of Kilimanjaro, but we just don't, you know, we don't have a word for snow. So Don said, well, we need to get the word over. He said, give us a moment, we'll pray. So they turned to each other, they prayed, and they discussed with each other, and then they, and they said, we've got it. And then they turned and they said something, the first one and then the second one. And then the whole crowd jumped up and praising God like this. And so Don said, well, what did you say to them? He said, we said to them that Jesus will make their sins like the inside of a coconut. <laughs> now that is, that's interpretation <laughs> as opposed to translation. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so it's an understanding, really, of a language that's alien to you. And it really is revelation. It comes in the same way as words of knowledge or prophecy and interpreters. You know, it comes exactly the same way, which is by pictures in your spirit. If we were to say in your mind's eye would be an, an easy way to express it, but really it's, it's, it's almost on the canvas of your spirit. God just uh, would communicate that interpretation to you. Or it comes as, a, as an inner knowing. Or it comes as an impression that bears witness with your spirit inside. You know, sometimes it's a scripture that the Holy Spirit quickens to you. Sometimes it's a, an inner voice of the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit of God will speak to you audibly. But may I say, please do not go seeking voices, as the devil might accommodate you out there, okay? So uh, if God wants to speak to you with an audible voice, he is well able to do that. But, um, you know, it's only happened to me a couple of times in my life, and wonderful things have happened when it has happened. But, um, but I encourage you not to go trying to listen for voices. The Spirit of God will speak up inside of you. And, and you know, primarily, we, we need to understand this is a basic principle of revelation. This is the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus is the Word made flesh, and the Word of God is its truth. Jesus is the truth, and the Word is truth. Amen? And so the Spirit and the Word agree. And so don't get outside of this. Stay in line with this. Let every word be established by two or three witnesses. Amen? So it's not just one odd scripture here or there either. You know, it needs to, needs to come to line, into line with the tenor of scripture, really. And so, um, so that's absolutely vital. You'd be amazed at the things that go on as you travel around you here in different churches. I've had guys come up to me and say, the Lord's told me to leave my wife and marry that one over there because she's a hindrance to my ministry. And when I marry this other woman, then it's going to take off and bring great glory to God. I'm just kind of sitting there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, it's not the Spirit of God, you know. I said, it's, uh, it's the Spirit of adultery, but it's not the Spirit of God. You know, you get all kinds of stuff that goes on. I've had others that are, you know, a bit more of a comical. That's very serious, that one. But I've had more comical ones, you know, where people have said, you know, that, you know, I say to you, my people, that just as Moses ascended in a fiery chariot, so I would have you to ascend to new heights with me and... Just as Moses confronted the false prophets of Baal, I would have you to overcome the powers of darkness in my name. And everybody's cheering and praising me. He sits down and a few minutes later gets up and says, pardon me, my children, I got it wrong. <laughs> it wasn't Moses, it was Elijah, you know. And um, things like that, you know. Uh, I was in a meeting where that happened. Uh, I was in a meeting where another lady stood up and said, my dear children, I know how anxious and fearful you are because I often get that way myself. And... Um, now, now, of course, God doesn't get anxious and he doesn't get fearful. And if we do say something publicly that is out of line with the word of God, well, we need to be prepared to receive correction. Amen. 
And correction is not rejection. We've all got our L plates on. We're all learning. None of, you know, the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 39, that we know in part and we prophesy in part. And that means that even the best prophecies uh, are not 100% God. Why would we have to test prophecy? Why does the scripture say, test all things? And, and that when, you know, when one is standing up and prophesying, let the others test. Why is that so? Because prophecy is not perfect. It's coming through a human channel in which we're trying to express what we are hearing and sensing from God. And obviously the more sensitive you are to the Holy Spirit and the more you are, that you are constantly meditating on Scripture and, and, and submitting yourself to the genuine thing, to the Word of God, then, you know, your, your prophetic word is going to be more and more accurate. It's the way the bankers are trained. You know, very often a teller and a banker, and they, you know, for the first six months, they won't let them see a counterfeit note. They just constantly put original notes past them. But one day, they slip in a counterfeit just to see. And the teller just suddenly goes, that's false. That's counterfeit. I say, how do you know? So I don't know. I just know. And they're right. And you know why they're right? Because they spent so much time looking at the genuine article. So I want to encourage you, keep looking at the Word of God. It'll help your discernment. Amen? And so that's, that's fundamental. It's true with interpretation of tongues. It's true also with prophecy. Let's just wrap this up here with prophecy, and, uh, and we're going to do a bit of this. And what I may do for the sake of time is I'll give you a little break. You're going to have some coffee. And either we'll have an activation straight there and then get into preaching, or I'll do a shorter version of Word of Knowledge, Word of Wisdom, and whatever, and then we'll activate both prophecy and word of knowledge in the, in the same session, either way. Okay. I can tell you that some of you are gagging for a coffee. There you are. So um, if I was preaching here in Denmark and we were getting towards coffee time, they'd all need to be strangling me by now. They, I think the average person drinks 10 cups of coffee a day in, in Denmark. Here we are. And, uh, and actually the first time I went there, because the coffee tasted so good, I, I, I drank about four or five cups on my first day. I normally only take one or two, and that's normally decaf. And then I found myself at nighttime. It was three o'clock in the morning. I was still awake. And, uh, you know, and I'm saying, Lord, you know, do you want to speak to me? What is it? You're keeping me awake? And I kind of see a vision of a cup of coffee coming across. You know. Here we are. Prophecy in the New Testament is not so much foretelling as forthtelling. Speaking out the heart and mind of God. And I say Jesus did say that the Spirit will tell you things to come. So there are times when the Holy Spirit will give you a warning in advance about something. There are times that he gives words in, in, of warning, or words of encouragement, or words of vision to enable you, you know, to, um, to bring some adjustment into your church or to your ministry or to your life. And he gives you this word and it helps you. Sometimes, um, you know, the Lord... The Lord sometimes warns me in, in advance with situations or with certain people that I meet. And, and uh, on occasion, I go to sleep at night and, I, um, and I'm going to visit a new church. And I've had this happen where I, I, I go to sleep and I have a dream. And in the dream, I see the church that I'm going to visit the next day. And I see the people where they're sitting and what they're wearing. And, and, uh, and certain individuals stand out to me in the dream and what I'm to say to them. And then I get there the next day, and then I suddenly say, my goodness, I was here last night. <laughs> and I look around and say, goodness, there she is. You know, there he is. And, uh, you know, and then the Lord gives me the words for those individuals. And all of them are really at a, at a crossing point in their lives. They're at just a junction time. And, um, and the Lord just speaks into their lives. And, and it's great. It's a real encouragement. And other times, it's, as I say, it it's, can be a warning in advance. I remember one time in the Philippines, just before leaving, having done a three-week crusade over there, 
And the Lord gave me a word for that, um, that apostolic movement we were working with. Uh, and the Lord said to me, in three months' time, there's going to be um, a whirlwind, a great hurricane that's going to come across this part of the islands. I see many, many houses broken down. I see many people running for their lives. And right now is a time for you to store up extra goods and prepare yourselves and be ready to receive these people as they come. And as you show the love of God practically, also to minister to them and to share the gospel with them. Well, three months later, I had a, a, an email from them to say it's exactly what happened. That the whirlwind came through three months to the dot and destroyed many homes. But the result of it is the church was ready and they were able to feed them, to clothe them, to help them, and they led thousands of them to Christ. Well, you know, it's, it's great when the prophetic can operate like that and flow like that. Other times, and this is very rare, and I often find it more with leaders, that, um, that sometimes the Holy Spirit brings correction through the prophetic into people's lives. And um, so, you know, um, don't get nervous when I say this, by the way, it doesn't happen too often, but... Now, I, I think it's much better with the Lord to repent straight away, don't you? Rather than be in a meeting and have to get somebody come and say it. Uh, when I was a teenager and I was struggling with some issues in my life, I remember I used to hide behind the biggest guy I could in the church in case the preacher came and picked me out, you know. But, but the fact is that uh, I, I, can, um, I can remember going to preach in a church down south. And, uh, oh my goodness, it was so, at first it was so disturbing I was standing there, and, and I was sitting here, because this is where the pastor wanted us to sit, and the congregation were here, and there's a big guy sitting about where, the, where this fellow is here, and, and the pulpit is just here. And um, anyway, as we're in the worship, I'm just trying to concentrate on the Lord and worship, but occasionally I just open my eyes, and when I did, my eyes would just be drawn to this guy, and I would get such an anger with this fellow, rise up on the inside of me, I just wanted to close my eyes, I'm not, I'm not looking at him, not looking at him, so I just, thank you, dear, I worship all you know, I think I look at it, and I get this anger rise up again. I thought, Lord, what's wrong with me? Do I need deliverance from this thing or something? You know, I just... Anyway, I, uh, then the pastor, you know, comes to the end of worship. He invites me up to the podium, and I step up. And as I go up to the thing, I suddenly find myself go like this, right? And I put my finger into his chest. Now, he's a huge big fellow. I mean, he could have eaten me and spat me out for breakfast. But, I, but you know, I, I come and I find myself, I put my finger in his chest, and I say to him, just stop it. Cut it out. So the Lord says to you that you've been going around the life groups around this church and you've been saying that you're weighing the pastor in your balances and that if he doesn't come up good, then, uh, you know, then X, Y, and Z and you're going to do this and you're going to say that and everything. But the Lord actually says to you that he's weighing you in his balances and he's giving you time to repent. But if you don't, he's going to judge you. So cut it out. And I turned and I went back. And as I walked back, I thought, what did you just say, Conrad? I was a man alive, you know. I went back to the platform. Yeah, I picked up my Bible and said, um, shall we just turn to... Uh, <laughs> but, you know, no matter how nice I tried to be, I mean, the whole place was in shock, you know. It, it took me about half an hour to get them all back. And um, anyway, and the guy was seething, you know. I just thought, um, Lord, put some angels around me as I go, as <laughs> I finish the meeting tonight, you know. And um, anyway, they all left, and thankfully he left too, you know. I must admit, when I left... <laughs> When I left the building that night, I was looking over my goodness. But, you know, but the thing is, is that um, I remember that uh, at the end, the pastor was just sitting there quietly when everybody left, and he was just going, <laughs> I said, oh, Pastor, please tell me I did all right. What was all that about? So he just said to me, John, that guy used to be one of my elders. He said, but about a year ago, he said, I had to, um, I had to step him down. He was living in habitual sin, and he wouldn't repent. And I confronted him. I tried to help him. He wouldn't acknowledge it. He wouldn't deal with it. 
I said, so eventually I had to step him down from leadership. He said he was so offended. He said eventually he left the church. He said, I haven't seen him for six months. And uh, he said, do you know what? He said, tonight was the first night that he turned up in church. He said, but I've heard from my house group leaders that actually he's been going around in the last three months. He's been going around the different house groups and he's been telling them that he's weighing me in the balances. And he says, and look, this was his first night. He said, and look what the Lord did. I said, well, the thing is, do you know what scripture says? Paul wrote to, to Timothy and he's writing in a certain section where he describes about Timothy's relationship with the elders of the church. And he says, rebuke those who are sinning in public so that the others will fear. Now you don't hear that preached on or practiced very often, do you? But it does happen. I think the Lord is very gracious with us and I think the reality is is that if we are willing to humble ourselves and confess our sins and at times where it's necessary that we also confess brother to brother or sister to sister, and particularly amongst leaders, the Lord would not have to go to those extremes to do all that kind of stuff. Amen. Okay. But most prophecy is not like that, <laughs> for which you can be grateful. Most prophecy is foretelling, speaking the heart and the mind of God, to encourage, to strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. First Corinthians 14 verse 3 says, to strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. How many of us need some encouragement now and again? Okay, we all do, don't we? How many of us need to a bit of exhortation in our lives? Come on, you can do it. Let's just, yeah, I, I do. We all do. You know, the flesh, I say this to my boys as I'm trying to help to train them in the things of God. I say, guys, listen, you've got to understand this. Your body will never want to pray. <laughs> you know, your, your, your body will never want to read the Bible or to go and win souls. You know, it's, it's, your spirit will. Uh, but your mind is in a process of renewal and your soul has to get restored and, and your body has to be offered as a living sacrifice to God. You've got to stay full of God and you've got to renew your mind so that what God puts into your spirit can flow out of your life. And I said, that's the way it is. I said, but you know, the body is a wonderful servant but a terrible master. So I said, uh, you know, don't give in to those feelings where you don't feel like praising Jesus. And, and if we're in a worship service and I see them looking up to some teenage guys, you know, who are all standing there chewing gum and looking cool, you know, and sitting there like this, you know, I always turn to my boys and I say, see him? Say, yeah. Don't follow that example. I say, that's a, that's a losing example. Not call him a loser, shouldn't call anybody like that, that's not good stuff. But he, that's a losing example, don't follow that. I said, that ain't cool at all. I said, all right, this is cool, follow me. <laughs> okay, so... But the thing about it is that we all need encouragement, we need positive encouragement, and sometimes we need somebody to say, come on, you can do it. I remember one time I got offended one time with a, with, a, with a pastor over something. I can't remember what it was. It was some little thing. And, and, and I got upset about it. And um, I know why. You know, it takes a lot for me normally. You know, but this particular thing, I don't know why it just got to me. And um, anyway, I went from this particular situation. And I, I went and my brother came with me. And we were going to do a pre-mission visit to um, some churches over in Africa where we were going to do a crusade in about six months' time. And anyway, we were sharing this room, and I started to pour my heart out to my brother about this particular pastor. I should never have done it, you know. Uh, even as I was talking about it, have you ever been talking and you hear yourself and you know what you're saying is wrong? And I'm talking about and this is all out of perspective, John. I think that's, at which point, my, thank God for godly brothers. I mean, he just turned to me. He might as well have slapped me in the face. He just, he just looked at me and said, John, stop it. 
<laughs> Listen to yourself. What are you saying? Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, within a few moments, I'm on my knees. I'm, I'm repenting, getting sorted out. That's one form of exhortation. I needed that. We need that. Amen. Sometimes, you know, in training people in, in evangelism and mission, and I get people up to, to testify on the streets or, or to preach or to or do whatever, or to step out in the gifts of the Spirit, you know. Sometimes I don't give them any warning. I just say to them, well, by the way, um, Chris has now got a word from the Lord he's going to give. <laughs> or Lynn's got some words of knowledge or some other young guy, because that's the way I was trained. Never given any warning. Don would just suddenly say, now Jonathan's got some words of knowledge he's going to give. And I said, I do. <laughs> You know, and he'd always say to me, reach out and get it, John. There's always something. And then he would sit down. You know? <laughs> and, but I realized that when I stepped out, by faith, the Lord would meet me there. And then miracles would happen. And I realized, actually, a lot of the gifts of the Spirit, the believers weren't getting it because they weren't reaching out for it. They thought it would just drop on them. Like ripe cherries off a tree, but it didn't work like that. You have to reach out for it. Amen. So I get some people that say to me, but John, I can't do that. I said, yes, you can. <laughs> but I can't. You can. <laughs> you know, <laughs> push them out. <laughs> and in fact, you're going to. I'm not like that with everybody, just with, just with most. Anyway, but, you know, it, it's important because actually people don't know. One, it's one of the greatest things you can ever learn to know that when you step out, he'll be there. He, he will. He'll never let you down. But you've got to be willing to step out. Well, to strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. Most of the prophetic word doesn't carry condemnation with it. It carries with it encouragement. It carries with it blessing. It speaks of the heart and the love of God. It really does. I mean, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Amen? And uh, yeah, I remember a woman who used to, when I was with Good News Crusade years ago, um, and in one particular conference, she was the wife of a pastor in this particular place. And she made it her job to go around all the wives of the team members and would sit down with them and deliver a word to them. And she said, the Lord shows me you've got a real problem with pride. The funny thing about it was it was this lady's particular problem. I mean, she reeked of it. You know, and it just, it just pride poured out of her. And yet she was going around putting her problem off on everybody else. And, and, and I was getting the, you know, to some of my friends in the ministry team, they would come up to me and say, goodness me, that pastor, she's gone and said this again. She said, so my wife's in tears though, with her hurting. And then this other one was exactly the same. And by the time she'd done three or four, I said, just wait, if she comes to mind, she's going to have it. <laughs> sure enough, she did. But I, thankfully, I saw her. So I stepped in between me and her. I stepped in between her and my wife. And I just said, excuse me. I said, I'm just going to say this in as kind a way as I can. I said, but you're going around putting off your pride onto everybody else. It's not the voice of prophecy. It's the voice of accusation. And you need to repent. Don't do it again. She looked at me for a moment. She went, she went off in a bit of a storm. Actually, later, two days later, she came back and apologized. And there was a real change in her spirit. There, there was a humility. And that's, you know, to be honest with you, that kind of thing, to get to that stage, to have to say that to somebody, is a rare thing. But sometimes, 
You know, it's important that we don't put off our issues on somebody else in the name of God. We've got to let God deal with us so that when we share with people, we bring encouragement, we bring exhortation, we bring comfort. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right. I think we've said enough. What we're going to do, when just as a little bit of pre-warning, we'll, give you a, we'll just pray now, and we'll give it a break for coffee. You all deserve it. It's been a long session. Um, but can I just say that um, when we come to the time, the practical time, we're going, to, um, we're going to break down into groups. We're going to break down into groups that are um, generally people that you don't know too well. All right, and especially if you're here with your husband or your wife, we're going to split you up for a moment. Now, um, forgive me, I'm sure you'll manage and be wonderfully reconciled at the end of the meeting. But no, I'll tell you why we're going to do that, is because sometimes in these kind of sessions, what happens is when we're stepping into practical opportunity to prophesy, sometimes a husband turns to his wife and says, now the Lord says to you. And she looks at him and says to him, actually, you've wanted to say that for years. You just put the Lord's name on it. And so for that reason, it's a good idea you know, that we actually split the husband and wife up for a time and, and just for a moment while you, while you prophesy. And, you know, and we will be, what we'll be doing is this. We'll be, we'll be coming to the Lord, and in English, we're asking for the, for the Lord to give us a word. Uh, and we're going to pray that in English, and we're going to pray in tongues quietly, and then we're going to still our heart. And we're going to wait on him. We're going to reach out for um, impressions, pictures, of the inner voice of the Lord, scriptures that he gives to us. And all again, bearing witness with our spirit in our heart. Just when we'll give a bit of time, just for you together, and you'll be reaching out then to the Lord for a word for the person on your left. And then we'll, once they've asked them, does that word make sense? Do you receive it? If they say yes, they say, can I pray for you? If they say yes, then pray that word into them. Because every prophetic word that we receive, it's important, it's like promises from Scripture. We need to take them and we need to pray them through. We need to declare them. That's what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy, where he says to him, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, he says, he says to Timothy, he encourages him to wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, through the prophetic word, through the prophecies that were spoken over you. Because sometimes we face stuff in life and we face stuff in ministry and in church where you know, God has spoken things over our lives and over our ministry, over our churches, and yet the enemy is contesting those things. And what we need to do is we need to dust off those prophecies, take them up and start to confess them out and speak them out and war against what the enemy is trying to put pressure on us with. War against it with the prophetic word of God over our lives and speak that out and thank God for it and praise him for it. Amen? And there's a breakthrough in it. I, I find whenever I do that in my personal life, you know, uh, it, it's in ministry. If there's been stuff that the enemy's been trying to push me down or, or over its finances or whatever else it is, you know, I find this then that if I go before the Lord and I take out the promises he's spoken in my life and I begin to declare them, it feels like in the spirit as if the curtains are just moved right back. There's like an open way made in the spirit and you just walk straight through it. So I encourage you to do that because God has not changed his mind about you. God has not changed his mind about those prophetic words he's declared over your life, your ministry, or your church. Amen. He's going to make this place a, a beacon, a shining light. Amen. In your region and to the nations. And so, amen. It's true for your life too. Walk in that place and believe God and take hold of his prophetic word. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, today, and we bless you for it. We pray in Jesus' name that even as we have a break for coffee and such, Lord, that you will 
Father, you'll continue to stir in our hearts and you'll inspire us. And as we come back and we learn some more and then we step into a time of activation, I pray, Lord, that you would minister to every one of our hearts, that we would all leave this place empowered, equipped, and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.